0: Hello everyone, welcome to Tennis With An Accent as we still live through these times of uh, self-quarantine, staying home and uh, keeping in isolation. Uh, There's really not much going on and Tennis With An Accent we are trying our best to bring uh, different accents, different voices and uh, today's a big day for the podcast. I know I've said this before but it does get bigger every time I have a voice like this. So for everyone's excitement and my personal delight Uh, We have uh, the absolute honor of speaking with uh, Magnus Norman, former world number two from Sweden, and who is uh, popularly known to the younger generation of fans as a coach who took uh, Stan Wawrinka to the promised land. So on that note, let me welcome Magnus to the show. How are you, Magnus?
1: Thank you very much for the introduction. Yeah, I'm fine. Uh, It's... um tough times for everybody. Uh, we have to yeah, stay at home, have to, to stay safe and, and pay attention to, to all the elderly people in the community. And, and also the, uh, all, all the hospitals, uh, you know, they're, they're getting filled up with people that need needs care. So I guess everybody has to sort of, uh, yeah, pay respect to, to this, uh, coronavirus that is, uh, currently, um, uh, in the world, but uh, yeah, trying to stay safe, trying to stay at home, trying to to work from home as much as I can.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's the message. I think everyone is saying. You know, we are in this together. Some regions are more impacted, and some regions is kind of uh, not there. But you know, everybody knows how potent, how dangerous this is. So, uh, on the on the tennis front, I, I mean, I know this this was a week of Miami. You you probably would be in states by now if things were normal. But Wimbledon got uh, canceled a couple of days ago. So, mm. how do you process that news? I know the, the every industry is impacted, but this is the first time Wimbledon is cancelled. I mean, since I think World War Two. So, was this coming, yeah. or were the players shocked? Are you?
1: Uh, not so so much. I mean, I guess uh, a lot of players, a lot of people expected this uh, this deci- decision to happen. I think it's the, the right decision to take as well. Uh, but yeah, it was I mean, we were preparing in, in in the states for for the Indian Wells tournament when when things picked up uh, with the virus. So all of a sudden, you know, we had to to go home, had to buy new tickets and go home, uh, you, you know, within 24 hours. So yeah, it's it's tough for everybody. But you know, at the same time, this is something that is happening now. This is something that everybody has to fight. Uh, and uh, as as far as the, the, the world of tennis, I mean yeah it's 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 tough but, but there's other, other things in life that that are far more important than than tennis so and uh yeah that's that's it i mean we we it's, it's very uncertain times as well because we don't really know when when things will pick up when things uh when we can start to play again so in yeah. terms of planning it's also it's also a new situation for for everybody i mean uh, all the coaches and players we we don't really know what to do at the moment so uh yeah the, I think the focus for the moment is trying to maintain fitness as much as possible, uh, as much as you can back home, uh, because a lot of gyms are, are not open uh, and uh, certainly a lot of tennis facilities are, are not open. So uh, just try to maintain uh, fitness at home and, and then you know, hope for the best, hope that this uh, virus is contained as soon as possible and, and that uh, things can go back to normal.
0: Sure. Uh, on that ground, a couple of hypothetical questions when you were talking, uh, you know, giving your answer, I was just uh, processing it and thinking. These are, I mean, like everyone's saying these are first-of-a-kind of, first of times. This has never happened before. The world has never shut down. So when tennis, like other sports, come back, uh, suppose the tour wants to have the fall season if things get okay by fall, for example. How are the players going to respond with no actual tennis for, like, five to six months? I mean, that's going to be very interesting. What kind of prep they can do. I mean, you have to hit a lot of balls, and uh, you... uh, Yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen. You you know, how how long of a a sort of uh, time frame the the players uh, will get until the first tournament, but but for sure... uh, I mean, well, I expect a lot of players to be really eager to to play when they get back on on the tour. Um, I expect uh, the, the, the the you know the, the competition will be really really tough. A lot of players will for sure try to play a lot of tournaments. So at the same time, you know, you're eager to play. You want to play as much as possible. But at the same time, you know, you have the risk of injury as well. You don't want to overplay in the beginning, especially when, when you haven't played for such a long time. So. You know, it's it's gonna be it's gonna be a new situation for for all of us. So we we just uh, yeah. And first of first of all, trying try to you know stay fit. I think that's the most important thing for the for the top level players. And then once uh, you know there will be some decisions made, uh, either this way or the other way. You know, people will start to to perhaps play tennis again. But at the moment, for example, in Switzerland, all the tennis facilities are closed, so it's actually not possible to to play tennis, while in some parts of the world, things are, are still uh, a little bit more open.
0: No, definitely, uh, yeah. Uh, this is, this is going to be a huge challenge. And uh, for a lot of players, like even Djokovic, who was having, again, a stellar season, I mean, life is definitely not fair, and this is tennis, but still, it, it kind of kills the momentum certain players had. And even in lower-ranked players, I mean, some players were making their move. Even Vavrinka, you know, your charge had a good Australian Open, and now all the momentum for all these players has been halted. Yeah. Um, so it's going to be new grounds. No,
1: uh, for, sure. for sure. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, it's, it's going to be totally new, a new season, a new. I mean, personally, I, I. I actually doubt it's going to be any more uh, professional tennis play this year. Uh, I mean, I, I don't have any, any sort of, I don't have more information than, than any, anyone else, but, but I doubt it's going to be more tennis played this year, uh, to be honest, because tennis is, you know, the ATP P W tater is a global sport. People travel a lot, and, uh, you know, I, 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 I just can't see it happen, but I, hopefully I'm wrong.
0: Yeah, let's uh, let's see when it comes back. And you're absolutely right. Uh, let's hope for the best, but yeah, there's no guarantees. Things don't don't look very promising right now. No. So uh, in this podcast, we usually have a trend when we have a former player or a current player like you, you know uh, come come to the show. So I always ask a standard question, even though I know the answer. So Edberg was your inspiration when you took up tennis. Talk about yes. how tennis came to you and uh, what was that moment mm-hmm. when you thought you know you want to be a player was Edberg one of the big reasons
1: yeah i mean we have a as everybody know we have a big tradition of tennis in sweden and uh, starting with Bjorn in the 70s and then mats and stefan came in the 80s so yeah the 80s was when when i was growing up and i was starting to do sports so stefan was was my idol growing up uh started to play tennis because i i, I was i was never a big uh, so soccer is a big sport in sweden in the summer but i was never a big soccer fan so i was yeah, I didn't have anything to do in the summer. While in the winter, I was playing a sport called bandy, which is a, a sport you play. You play. you play it on ice, but you play it on a soccer field. So it's eleven against eleven on each side, and uh, you play it with skates and and with a with a stick uh, and with a round ball, which is a little bit harder than a tennis ball. It's quite popular in this part of the of the world. Uh, so I played bandy in the winter, and then I started to play tennis a little bit in the summer because we played. I mean, we, we lived quite close to, to a tennis, uh, public tennis facility. So I started to hit some balls against the wall uh, there with my mother. And then my father started to play together with me. And yeah, one thing led to another. Uh, I won the Swedish championship when I was 12 years old. And then I won the Orange Bowl when I was 14. And then from, yeah, you could say from 14 years old when I won the Orange Bowl, things uh, picked up a little bit with, uh, with the tennis. Mm.
0: So in your view, is Edberg uh, your idol? Is he an anomaly in the Swedish program because Borg, Vilander, Niemstrum, everybody uh, could volley, but most people, most of these guys were baseline. The same, I think, your strength was also baseline and Soderling. Mm. So Edberg mm. just stands out. as it only serve and volley, or if I am correct?
1: Yeah, I mean, he stands out a little bit. Uh, he developed his, his game uh, with a, also with a one-handed back-end, which is not very common in Swedish tennis. We are we are uh, sort of known for the two-handed back-end, and, and as you say, for the for the. For for the back-of-the-court sort of stability uh, game. So, yeah, he stands out a little bit. He, he also had a coach from from abroad when he was playing, Tony Picard from England, and he was based in, in London for many, many years. So so he took another road, so to say, uh, but now he's living in Sweden and uh, in the south of Sweden with his family, and uh, he has a tennis facility, I guess. He's involved in, 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 in Beksha So, yeah, I've been able to, fortunately not, to, to play with him a couple of times when I was active. And then, uh, yeah, uh, it's a great guy. And, and uh, he, he was a big idol lot of mine uh, when I was growing up.
0: And you also coached against him, right? Uh, when he was still coaching, you were with Stan. So, yeah, that's quite interesting. You know, you rivalry yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah went to the box. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, let's fast forward, or actually not, from yeah, from Edward time, but still in, mm. in the past tense. Let's go to the year 97. Uh, uh, I, I was rooting that year for Goran Ivanisevic to, you know, to win Wimbledon and you take yeah. him out. I mean, uh, I didn't <laughs> want about the, that. No, that, about that, my friend. That, <laughs> no, that, that, that's okay. I mean, there, there are a lot of players like, you know. Uh, but I, I, I didn't remember watching that match because that Wimbledon, if I'm not mistaken, had a lot of rain. So, mm, yeah. so I missed the match and I had to leave and then I come back. It was a long match, uh, mm-hmm. yeah. fifth, fifth set. So how was it playing on that kind of a grass, uh, which is so... We we see it on TV now, all the fans, Wimbledon is different. How was the challenge playing in Ivanisevic, you serve 40-something aces in that match, if I'm not mistaken, and you were a young man yourself, and you come out and win that match. So talk about that experience. Yeah,
1: Yeah, I was 21 years old. Uh, Yeah, I I mean, the the grass when I was playing, all all the years when I was playing, the grass was playing completely different. I mean... Uh, the the grass was was a lot faster. The ball was not bouncing nearly as high as it is at the moment. So it was almost almost impossible to play from the baseline. It was all, all, like you had exceptions like like uh, Agassi maybe who can play from the baseline, but but extreme extremely tough to play from the baseline. I have to say. So even me, I was playing serve and volley on the second serve. Uh, Almost on grass, you know, uh, because the ball was not bouncing. So yeah, it was a tough match I I remember it was played over a couple of days. As you said, I think it was played over 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 three days and uh, Yeah, I think uh, Goran served like 47 aces, but in the end I was able to to win so yeah, it was My my biggest win on grass for sure because I didn't have any any really good results on grass
0: How would Goran be hypothetical against these guys on this kind of a Wimbledon centre-court today? with that serve i'm sure he'll be good but uh, yeah no, it's,
1: it's, <laughs> yeah it's different now because now you can even i mean it's tough to go back a little bit with, on the returns but but even now i mean you can go back a little bit on on the returns because it's uh, it's a bit a bit uh, a bit slower and but i think he would he would do quite well anyway i mean his serve was just amazing and and he would i think he would adapt his game a little bit to to the surface that is at the moment so i mean players uh, evolve over time players get better you see Um, clips of of, uh, Federer against Nadal uh, let's say 10 10 years ago and then you compare to to the matches that they played in in the the recent years and you see that that they developed a lot as well, I mean they are playing closer to the baseline uh, and and they, they sort of pushed each other to the new limits, you know, to new heights, so I mean, every, everybody's in, in, involving all the time, developing all the time. So I'm guess I'm guessing that Goran, you know, at, at um, playing at, at this time would have developed his game as well and, and, and be able to to beat some of the, the guys even now.
0: No, that's a very interesting point, and I'll definitely come back to you because I had something in my mind. So you touched upon it. We'll we'll talk about it in a few minutes. So let's mm-hmm. stay in '97 for a few more minutes. And then sure. uh, preceding Wimbledon, you took out Sampras. So I mean, this was you were not an unknown. If people were following tennis, you had beaten Sampras mm-hmm. at Fort Roland Garros. You take out Ivanisevic, yeah. who was world number three at Wimbledon. Mm-hmm. So these are like huge months for a 21 year old. I mean, this is kind of putting you on the map. So yeah. uh, did that set the tone for you know the successful '99, 2000? You yeah. think these matches. Uh, prepared you for the big stage
1: yeah yeah for sure i uh, I, I gained the experience of playing on, on 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 big courts in grand slams and i got the confidence of of being able to beat uh, both goran and Pete. so for sure it it that that gave me confidence it, it uh, sort of um yeah, gave me confidence in, in the terms of, you know, I can play on big courts, I can play best of five, my, my team around me, we are moving in the right direction, so for sure it gives you a lot of confidence, you know, when you're only 21, having big wins like that, so yeah, it was huge for me.
0: Yeah, we talked about Goran in the grass, but overall, how was the tour playing, say, in 97, and even, let's not even come come back here, but when you were at the top of your game, say, of course injuries had a role in it, but... In four or five years, do the do the game resets itself, uh, or the game stays the same, uh, or it changes maybe every ten years or so? What is your recollection when you came on tour, and then when you left the tour, did the game change at all? In terms, yeah, of- I think
1: I mean I think it's changing all the time. I mean, uh, you're out from the tour for a couple of weeks, and and you see new faces, so I think the the game changes a lot all the time. Uh, I think the biggest change compared to when I was playing is that the players are are, are moving uh, a lot faster. They are equally strong, or they are stronger than we were, but at the same time, their their body mass is uh, is is a bit less. Uh, I I I would guess, you know, uh, they are more flexible. They are they are moving they are moving faster and closer to the baseline, uh, as I said before, and and uh, and then you see, you know, that they are playing a lot. A lot longer. I mean, they're playing more years than than back back when I was playing. And and I think a big reason for that is that uh, they they uh, they earn more money, so they are they can afford to have bigger teams around them. They have specialists in in all areas of the of the game. Really, they have a tennis coach. Some players even have two tennis coaches, and they have a, a a fitness coach, they have a physiotherapist, they have a nutritionist. Sometimes, you know, so it, it it has become more professional in in all kind in in all areas of the game, and that's why I think we see that the players are, are being able to compete uh, a lot a lot longer these days.
0: Yeah, definitely, sport has uh, grown older, and uh, you know, we'll we'll touch upon that too, but yeah. Uh, so let's move to some of your successful years. I mean, uh, my mm. favorite part is the summer of uh, 2000. I followed a lot of, uh, I mean, I always have followed a lot of tennis, but uh, you were part of the trifecta that year leading up to Roland Garros. You, Gustavo Kuerten, and uh, Marat Safin were all yeah. having great years. And mm. then it came down to Roland Garros. And uh, by the way, you three were also in the running for world number one. And then, uh, you yeah. know, Guga just clinched the number one at the year end. Yeah, but going back to Roland Garros, I mean, was this the best tennis you ever played? You played in your career coming into that tournament.
1: Yeah, I mean, looking back, I think it's by by far my my best period of my career. Um, being able to to win the title in Rome and then back to back weeks, uh, we played in in Hamburg the week after, and I think I made quarters, losing to Guga, and then yeah, came into to Roland Garros as I think I was number two seed and and. Uh, yeah, or reaching the final—that was, I mean, the, the the best the best period of my life uh, in my of my career.
0: No, yeah, and I also remember the quarterfinal win over Safin. Again, uh, you mm-hmm. took the guy out I was rooting for, <laughs> uh, but yeah. uh, but more importantly, that's the first match. I'm a tennis geek that I see two players wearing all black. I don't know; I could be wrong. That's ah, like okay. that's okay. so long ago. <laughs> yeah, you know, as as a young man, I mean, th- th- those kind yeah. of things were standing out because uh, I say, okay, you know, this is uh, this is pretty cool. But yeah, yeah, so you in uh, uh, no serious part, I mean, you won 60-odd matches in 2000, and then you won 44 matches in 99. So I was just mm-hmm. doing some research, and uh, you played a lot of tournaments, and I believe everyone was playing a lot of tournaments. Marat was playing a packed schedule. Moya was playing a packed schedule. Mm-hmm. So again, talk about the ability to play so many weeks in, say, year tw- 2000, and now nobody's playing 25-plus tournaments. So nope. is the game more physical or... Uh, which yeah, it has. I, th- I,
1: th- I mean again i think it's uh com- comes down to yeah the game is more physical now and it's also yeah, i think it also comes down to that you have a lot of you have more experts involved in in each player uh, that comes up with uh, perhaps a little bit smarter uh, uh, planification of the year uh, i mean it's it's basically impossible to to play your top level if you play 25, 26 plus uh, weeks uh, each year. I mean, and and if there is something that I sort of regret in my career, uh, when I was in at, at my peak, it's that I played maybe a little bit too much. Uh, I wanted to play every week, and you know, you get appearance money, and you you know, you want to go to that week because you get a little bit extra paid. Uh, and, and, and instead of maybe being a little bit more. Um, selective with what you play uh, and being a little bit more long term uh, so yeah that's maybe one of the things that I sort of regret a little bit and, and that I try to to um, try to learn from the hard way uh, obviously uh, with my players uh, that I'm coaching now to to look at things a little bit differently uh, you know it's it's tough to perform both physically and mentally you know I think you you, you need to have a sort of a long off season, and I think also you need to have a couple of shorter breaks and maybe one longer break also during during the year. Uh, so yeah, that that's that's my 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 sort of my my advice, and and sort of I, I learned it the hard way because I got injured when I was uh, number four in the world when I was in, uh, at my peak, and then never really came back. So, but but I think uh, I guess I learned a lot from that as well.
0: So again, uh, you know. In hindsight, you can definitely look with, uh, you know, more objectivity and what happened. But you mm. think uh, injury, especially hip injury, is so hard to come back. You think that was also a function of how hard you played or practice, Or that was just, yeah. you know, you can't control that kind of an injury?
1: No, no, I, 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 I think I think it's a few things. I think it's, first of all, as, as I mentioned before, you know, you, you, right now you have, Specialist in, in all areas of, of, of a players development. So of course, you know, the training has developed a lot as well over the years I mean When I was playing the I mean the the, the fitness training Consisted of, of you know lifting weights or, or running basically, uh, there was barely no uh, No stability n- very not not a lot of mobility uh, and, and those kind of things, you know, which which you see every every player is doing now uh, so, so that, that was a big part. And, and, and as well, you know, trying to, my, my personality as well uh, brought me to, to number two in the world, of course. But the, the flip side of that is that I was a hard worker. Uh, my personality is that I, I, I have a very tough time resting from, from training. Uh, I always want to, to become better and I always wanted to practice, you know, almost every day. But again, I think it's very, very important to sometimes, you know, have three four days off just to get the body to recover. And, and also um, a third, third uh, sort of thing here, uh, which I think played a big part as well, was that uh, I think maybe my generation with, with Guga was the first, uh, Albert Costa, Carlos Moya was the first generation that started to play a little bit m- with, with more with open stance. So we started to use the hip rotation a little bit more than than back in the days, and that uh, I don't think that we were, uh, you know, trained for it. I don't think uh, I'm talking for myself now, but I think that I, I was not trained for for it. I was not trained trained for the demand, especially on the on the left hip, you know, doing all the the rotation that we did in open stance in the, in the forehand. So so yeah, that's that's the three things that i think led to to my injury but uh you know it was was a hard hard way to learn but uh something that i definitely uh, took with me uh, into my coaching career
0: yeah that's quite a revealing fact now to think so think of guga yourself and a few years later latin hewitt i think all three are you know ranked one and two and very prominent players and you know, everybody all three of the them had a hip issue so yeah maybe there is a connection like you said that was uh onset of the open stance uh, yeah way. I think
1: yeah, I think so I mean there, there was there was no research research before and I think a lot of research were, were being made at that that, um, that time uh, on the the hip injuries involved in tennis so uh, I guess the, the training uh, sort of evolved from there and, and people started to take care more about the, the, the hip mobility and and, and uh, stability so uh, yeah I think the training sort of changed uh, and players were better prepared after that
0: so I'm sure there's a big relation when this kind of injury happens. So do you think you came back in 2001 too soon or, uh, or the rehab could have been different? Because uh, I, I believe you said sometime uh, that there was also loss of confidence, which was causing you to lose matches. And it's mm-hmm. not easy to come back for that kind of an injury. So your thoughts on that?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's always looking back uh, with perspective on things. I think I think maybe... You know, I came back and, and I got a injury in my knee on the same side as I operated my my hip on. So in in that in that sense, perhaps I was not. You know, my hip was okay. I was I was I made a good rehabilitation period for the hip, but maybe the the rest of the body was not prepared. I mean, that's an easy conclusion to 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 give. Of course but uh, but at the same time you know I, I i know how much time i spent in the gym and i know i know how much time i spent on the practice court on the tennis court before coming back so but again I, I i i took the injury in the in the 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 left knee as well so things started to to go 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 really bad from there on you know uh, so yeah it was a it was a tough tough moment for me of course to be able to not finish my career and baby had to, to stop when I was 27. It was sort of disappointing for me and, and it's still a big disappointment for me that I was not able to play a, a longer career.
0: Have you ever spoken to Andy Murray who's gone through something very similar in the last few years uh, regarding the hip troubles or you think uh, the advice today is more, you know, more advanced? Uh, yeah, I think, I mean,
1: I had my surgery um, yeah, a long time ago. It's, um, you know, so I think... In this area, I think the the, the medical system and, and all the research that's been made. I think the technology now it's it's far more advanced than than when I was playing uh, at at the top. You know, I think now you know you're able to, to change the whole hip and you, you be, you're able to come back playing playing singles again, which is incredible. You know, that was not even even heard of when I was uh, discussing my 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 surgery. So so yeah, I mean. I, I, I've talked to to his team, but uh, but I'm sure he has all the the medical experts in the world helping him uh, and advising him. So, mm-hmm.
0: uh, so you were what 27 when you stopped playing tennis. Uh, uh, how hard was it to stop? And then, were you reconsidering coming back? Did you even try to make any comeback attempts, or you just accepted it and then just uh, moved on to life with uh, you know. As yeah, no, I I, I,
1: tried, I tried multiple times to come back for sure, and uh, yeah, before 27, before I made the announcement and took the decis- decision, I I came back, and in the last year I played, I think I played three quarterfinals, and that year, and I had to retire in all the three quarters because of the the, the pain in, in the left hip. So uh, I it was tough to sort of when you've been on on the top top ten even, even higher. It's tough to see yourself being ranked 78 in the world, you know, going from tournament to tournament, not being able to justify yourself. That's, that's not what I wanted to do. Um, so instead of doing that and, and struggling and, and being mentally, uh, quite depressed, you know, I, I, I decided to, you know, this is, this is not working anymore. Um, so I, I, I stopped playing and I immediately, to to studying actually so I studying I was studying marketing and economics for uh, for two years in a, in a private business school in Stockholm and then I uh, started to have a, a regular job in Stockholm and um, you know did quite well and, and was assigned a, a marketing manager at the fund management company in Stockholm uh, but then after a couple of years I started to miss the sport again I started to miss the the locker room talk, the excitement for the games, the, the, the happiness or the sadness when you lost and you know, so so. And then at, at this moment, you know, Thomas Johansson My my one of my best friends. He asked me if I wanted to to jump along on, on the tournament uh, to the States uh, To help him as a, as a friend and as a coach and, and from that from then on from that week I was kind of hooked on, on coaching
0: uh, so that that has to be a different uh, i 'm sure it can come natural because we are not players. We only watch you guys play on TV but uh, w- what changes you have to make? Of course, you were removed from the sport, you went to school and you know had a marketing job but uh, as a player to coach the what are the quick adjustments you have to make? You are not playing, you are in the box and you're helping you 're studying tape uh, so what are the yeah. things you need to adjust? From giving advice to you were receiving advice all the time.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, it's, um, it's it's quite quite a big change. Yes, uh, you have t- one of the things that I, I I started to do was that I was started to to coach uh, a lot of uh, a lot of kids uh, just by accident a lot of kids younger kids and a lot of adults back home in, in Stockholm uh, and that was actually quite a good school because I, I learned how to articulate myself and how to communicate with, with players that are less gifted than, than you know the top guys so a kid for example you really have to to go down uh, and, and be very specific when you when you explain a drill or a technique uh, and the same with amateurs you know they 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 don't immediately do what you tell them to do you have to really explain and you, you, you that, that was a sort of coincidence but that was a good school for me because the communication is one of the key issues uh, of of coaching you know when to say things what to say how to say it and and when to to take a step back and be a little bit more quiet and when you try to explain things that you really uh, explain a little bit deeper so you get the understanding uh, from the player so communication was something that that of a coincidence I, I learned a lot from from coaching kids and adults
0: yeah, I talked to you, Jonas too when he came in the podcast a year and a half ago, and you know I said the same thing. It's a Swedish trait. You I mean for coaching, how important it is to be a good listener? And mm-hmm. uh, you know we talked about that. So, and then I also talked to you, Thomas Johansson last year. So, yeah. so it's no secret. I mean, you know, the audience who's listening to this podcast, uh, you know, there are a lot of current tennis fans, and uh, mm-hmm. Stan Wawrinka and Robin Soderling are you know very prominent names for what has happened on the tennis court in the last decade or so. And a lot of people believe you are if, uh, easily one of the best coaches and some would believe you're probably the coach of the decade because mm-hmm. of what you've been able to do with these two gentlemen. So how did the Robin Soderling job lined up? Let's talk about Robin and then we'll uh, make a transition to Stan.
1: Yeah, Robin uh, uh, came about uh, when I was coaching Thomas. Like I said, I, I jumped on helping Thomas a little bit <laughs> and then... Um, Thomas asked me to, to travel with him uh, a little bit uh, more weeks that year. Uh, we went to Memphis together, and then we started to work a little bit more regularly. But then in um, uh, after a couple of months, Thomas got injured, and, and uh, Robin Södling has just ended his uh, coaching relationship with Peter Carlson back then. So, um, uh, yeah, we decided that I could work with maybe both, both Thomas and Robin for a while. And then, as I said, Thomas got injured, and, and he's he got older, and his career sort of came to an end. And and then I I I, I yeah continued working only with Robin for a couple of more years, and uh, yeah, we had some good results together for sure. I think one of he was he was really he was uh, really in a good position. I mean, he had a great coach before Peter Carlson. who who actually did all the the hard work uh, in the the transition years with with Robin. And he had a great fitness coach in Ali Gelem as well, who really built his foundation when he he came to to the fitness side. So I think, you know, I I, I did maybe a few good things with him. Uh, I think perhaps the most important thing was his mentality that I was able to to get him to to be focused on on, uh, on the the yeah the, the most important thing uh, during the matches uh, and and for him to to perform well at, at big uh, big stages big big matches because before we started working together he had never been in the second round of a grand slam second week sorry of a grand slam tournament so he was a little bit of an Andre Schiever, uh, I think. But uh, yeah, during the the couple the, the few years that we worked together, we, we had great results. He made uh, the the French Open fi- final uh, two times, uh, so it was a couple of couple of good years.
0: Again, uh, elaborate on the mentality part. I mean, we all know what happened in those two French Opens. He took out, he did the impossible, <coughs> took out Nadal, and then mm. uh, next year he beat uh, Roger <coughs> Federer. So mm. what happened uh, between? Again, on, on the mental aspect, the guy was supremely talented, could hit the ball like uh, not many. So, what were what was the more mental adjustment to make him believe uh, that he can, you know, he can compete with these guys? I mean, uh, uh, elaborate on that that partnership uh, leading up to two thousand nine French Open. Yeah, I mean,
1: uh, I think it's it's more mental things as well. As I said before, he had a great uh, great foundation when we started working together, so everything was was in place. I mean, we we had a. Uh, Specifically talking about 2009, I think we had a quite tough uh, time leading up to to Roland Garros. We lost a couple of first rounds, and he dropped his ranking a little bit. We even went to play um, a challenger tournament in in March that year. Uh, he played qualis in in a challenger challenger because he was not entered, and he went to play the the qualis. He won the qualis, and then he won the challenger uh, the, the, in March. And then a couple of months later, you know he 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 lost to Nadal in Rome i think it was 66061 or something like that but I, I remember we stayed up in the gym uh, that night talking for 1 hour uh, in the gym while working out um, because I, I actually thought the match was a lot closer and there was some some signs in that game that that i really liked you know And uh, we stayed up for for an hour and we talked and then you know a couple of couple of weeks later he's he's facing Nadal again in, in the french open and uh, and he was able to win so I think it was more about more about confidence, more about uh, the, the mental aspects of the game uh, uh, to to be able to to not, not only to to win against Nadal. I think uh, the, the turning point for Robin's career, in my eyes, uh, I'm I'm probably wrong, but in my eyes, uh, it was the match against David Ferrer on court number one. Uh, the the round before he, he beat Nadal in French Open, I, I felt like that was the match that really turned. Robin's career around, and then he, he was able to, to beat Rafa and then two days later he was able to win again against Davidenko which was even more uh, I think uh, you know uh, in, impressive in, in my eyes uh, so yeah yeah that's was, always
0: a tough match to come back to after you cause the big big upset then mm-hmm. you have to come back and still win the next match so I think that's yeah. probably is a, a more precious situation in some ways because yes, the world yes. has noticed you
1: for sure, for sure. No, that was that was. I mean, we, we spoke a lot about it, but that match uh, the, the day before, and, and not being not being, you know, trying to not to be too satisfied with the win. You know, the 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 tournament still goes on, and we have a quarterfinal match to to play. So yeah, that was was one of the the best performances I've seen uh, Robin do uh, during the years that we worked together.
0: Yeah, definitely, and uh, he also had a similar you know fate uh, as you. Uh, you you know, both mm-hmm. of you could have been. Uh, you know, we don't even know the extent what you could have achieved. You know, so same for you and Robin and injury. Yeah. I mean, and in his case, you know, uh, illness caused an end of uh, for career that was at its peak. So, are you in touch with the guy? I mean, uh, uh, we, we had him in the podcast, but you know, he seems to have moved on. So, are you guys in touch still? Mm,
1: yeah, he. I think he's quite busy with his brand. He has his uh, Robin Sutherland tennis balls and and grips. I think so. He's quite busy. He has two kids. So, but he lives in Stockholm, so we bump, uh, bump into each other once in a while. But and also now he's the Swedish Davis Cup captain, so yeah, he's still involved in tennis, which is which is nice to see.
0: You think uh, a lot of people again when I was doing some research and uh, you have to read articles. I know a lot about you, but there was written how oh, you were making up for the success. Uh, as a coach, so, uh, describe the two kinds of success. I mean, of course, as a player, you want to win your own Grand slam, But does this make up helping Robin and then helping Stan winning these tournaments? Does it make up for the void you left? Or are there two separate <clears> things?
1: <throat> no, I think it's two separate things. I think if there is something linked together, it's perhaps that I I felt like I was not... Uh, well, that's maybe tough, to, tough to, to... Maybe sounds arrogant or something, but I was not really satisfied with my own, own career. Um, okay, I was number two in the world and, and all that, but, but I felt still like I, I was not 100% happy with how things ended. And, you know, I, I felt like there was more inside of me than, than I actually could could show. So, in a, in a way, um, uh, I was still, uh, you know, hungry for more. I was still, and that's maybe why I'm still, you know, traveling the world, uh, coaching, you know. Still had the hunger inside of me, still felt like I, I left something out there. So that's maybe the only only sort of link between my playing career and my coaching career. But uh, yeah, of course, you know, talking about Stan, you know, winning French Open was, of course, I was, I was very, very happy. And I was also, uh, it was quite emotional for me because Stan mentioned my um uh, you know he sort of uh contributed the the, the win in, in Roland Garros to me which was nice you know uh, you had Guga handing over the trophy to to Stan Guga having beaten me in the final and you know that 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 meant quite a lot to me and was was nice 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 thing of Stan to do
0: yeah that was quite poetic quite emotional I remember that so mm. so now let's switch to Wawrinka so how did this job uh uh, come together. Uh, I know he was coached by Peter Lundgren a few years yes. ago. Was that a yeah. connection, or how did you, you and Wavrinka start working together?
1: Yeah, no, I stopped working with Robin because I was me and my wife was trying to have kids, <laughs> and when you when you want to want to try to have kids, you you need to stay together, you know. So I I stopped traveling a little bit, a little bit, and and during that time, uh, Stan's agent uh, Lawrence Frankopan from Starving Management, he he called me a couple of times. Uh, trying to pursue me to do a couple of weeks and I said no a couple of times but then you know the, the, the girls grew up a little bit and, and after a while I said okay let's let's try to let's try to do a couple of weeks and then we see how it goes and I, I remember I went down to Switzerland for a preseason uh, week uh, the week before the, the clay court season and uh, yeah I liked uh, liked working with him I mean uh, Stan was uh, a totally different character from from Robin. Different personality, so we immediately clicked uh, really good. He was very nice to me, uh, always, you know, thinking about my family, about my kids, and, and you know, trying to take care of, of me in the best possible way. So, I mean, we had a great week, and immediately uh, the, the, the week following the practice week, he, he won the title in Estoril. And then we went to Madrid together. He made his first uh, final in the Masters, Tauten, Tauten, uh, 1000 tournament. So we got off to a good start, and and uh, I think that's that's a, a lot of luck as well. You know, he, he was he started to trust my advice. He saw that it was paying off immediately, and uh, yeah, was a little bit of a of of a, of a lucky start, which 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 helped uh, our relationship a lot.
0: Yeah, everyone who was watching tennis knew Vavrinka had the talent, but uh, I'll be honest, you know, none of us, not many of us believed that he would go all the way, and then, you know, when he started playing uh, with that freedom, and, you know, you were in the coaching box, you know, the year 2013, he had a couple of great mm. matches with Djokovic, uh, mm. I think in Australia, and then uh, mm. also in the US Open, and then you could clearly see this, this guy is a clear threat to the top players, so... Mm. So what is is his game built around? We all talk about his backhand. How important are the other parts of his uh, game, especially in these big matches? Let's talk about his matchup with Novak. You know, when Novak was playing some of his best tennis, Stan was one of the few guys, or maybe the only guy on the biggest stage, Mm. who could hang with him. So talk about this matchup and uh, Stan's game.
1: Yeah, I mean, um, when Stan is is confident, when he has a couple of matches under his belt and and he's... he has a he had had a good preparation period before then he's he can be a threat to to the top guys for sure I think uh, a lot of a lot of people involved in tennis they, they see his back end and and, and and yeah it's one of the best shots in, in the game for sure when it's when it's on but I think we try to base a lot of his a lot of his game around his serve he, I think he has one of the best serves as well he's very under, underrated uh, he can um, it's very easy, he gets very easy power, uh, you know, he's, he doesn't force his serve too much and he picks his spots really well. And I think he has one of the best second serves as well in the game. So that together with, with the forehand, I mean, uh, we, we talk about his backhand, but, but the forehand when, when he's when he's uh, confident and, and he, uh, he can stay in the rally for a long time, he's not going for too much, I think he's one of the best shots as well so we 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 try to work a lot with his forehand uh, all the balls in the middle of the court should be played with the, with the forehand so um uh, yeah we we base a lot of his game around the serve and and, and the forehand uh, and then the backhand of course the, the backhand needs maintenance the backhand needs needs uh, a lot of work a lot of repetition as well but the backhand it's a little bit in his dna you know the his backhand will always always be there but it's it's more about the forehand and, and, and the serve yes
0: yeah, and let's talk about the matchup with Djokovic. I mean, uh, he was supposed—he was able to play some of his best matches against Novak on the biggest stages. So you think that's more <laughs> yeah. of a matchup thing, or is the best of five thing? Uh, because Djokovic- I think it's a,
1: yeah, I think it's a more of a matchup thing. I mean, he likes to play Novak. Not not <laughs> he has the deepest respect of Novak, and, and I think. Novak has won more matches over Stan, so but, but Stan has won a couple of big ones. But, but I think it's 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 more the matchup than anything else. I mean, he has a he doesn't have a good record against uh, Nadal, for example, and and that matchup is is quite tough for Stan to 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 play all, all the time on on the on the high backhand, you know, St- uh, Rafa is spinning to to Stan's backhand, and he has to play the backhand from very high up, and it's 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 a tough matchup for Stan for sure. So I think the matchup with Novak is probably Pitts stand a little bit better, to be honest.
0: So out of the three majors, uh, Stan Wawrinka won. Uh, uh, which one was, as a coach, if you look back, was a bigger achievement? Or let's put it this way: which one were you surprised? First one is always tough, but which one were you surprised that you thought, okay, you know, you slightly said, okay, you know, this is we didn't see this coming, even though he was contending for the biggest yeah. of tournaments.
1: No, I would say that the first one was a surprise, and the, but the first one was also quite weird because uh, you know Rafa got injured a little bit in the final, and you, uh, in the locker rooms afterwards, I, I personally didn't know if I was going to be happy or for Stan or sad for Rafa. I was a little bit mixed emotions, you know, and, and also I saw people talking about yeah, Rafa would have won if he's, he he was not getting injured. So it was something. Winning a Grand Slam for Stan was something that I think no one expected for sure. So in a way, it was unbelievable. Uh, and also the way he was playing in the final was just amazing. The, the, I know myself how nervous I was before my first, my only Grand Slam final. But Stan seemed to, seemed to be quite relaxed, motivated. He was relaxed before going on court. So that's that was one thing. But then, I think the the grand slam that he won that i was most uh sort of now with a couple of years perspective is the, the us open uh when he won the us open i think it was you know one of the hottest uh us opens ever Uh the, the year when it was also the first year the us open was played with the with the roof with the retractable roof so the, the noise was 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 quite big and it was quite humid inside uh and to be able to to win like like Stan did, he was physically like a like a monster that year. I mean, he he basically basically was was a, a lot stronger than the other guys. I have to say so. And and playing some amazing tennis, so that was probably the performance that I'm most surprised and and, and thought was the, the the best performance I've seen up. Yeah,
0: this is this is gold for me because you know not every day I talk to a legendary coach like you. So a couple more questions on this. So. Uh, are you a man who believes uh, uh, less is more? You say something, you know, because okay, let's for example, Wawrinka, Djokovic, U.S. Open final. Before the match, you're not going to change too many things because he's played Novak before. Novak knows you well, and vice versa. Mm. So before that match, what do you just tell the charge? Go be yourself, or do you look at Novak's last match against Stan? I mean, what kind of information yeah. is coming? With well, this, too much to go by. And at our level, we are killing. We are over analyzing. So yeah. what does Norman tell Wawrinka? Say on Saturday, uh, of the, the day before the U.S. Open final.
1: Yeah, no, we, we quite uh, like you said. You're you're on the right track. I mean, try to keep it as simple as possible. You have to you have to not. Um, I mean, especially in Stan's case, you know, he doesn't like to receive too much information before the match. You know, too too many tactical things will will mess up his brain a little bit. So it's important to to be very clear with those few things that you tell him. And uh, yeah. It's a quite funny incident, actually, before the US Open final where where we had a, a small talk in the locker room. And I told him how how proud I was of, his, of his, not only his US Open so far, but also about the whole period leading up to the US Open. You know, we had had a very good summer uh, together. The results was not great, but, you know, the way we were working was, was fantastic. So I, I told him how proud I was. And he was probably nervous, so he started to cry a little bit, you know, before the game uh, when I was talking to him. And then, uh, then I was starting to to cry as well. So, so just before the match uh, was going to start, we we were both like crying in the locker rooms, and uh, yeah, we had emotional emotional couple of minutes there when just when the umpire, when the referee is calling the match, actually. So, so it's but it was a, it's a good moment. I mean, I think it released a lot of emotions from from both of us and. Stein went out and, and played some of his best tennis, so that, that those couple of minutes I will, I will never forget.
0: No, that's wonderful. Uh, so what is a coaching book uh, at the highest level? You said at the beginning of the interview that everybody, most players can afford, you know, a lot of, it's a big entourage. Mm. So what is a Magnus Norman coaching book? You look at, you know, you look at the tape, do you study data like the sites like Tennis Abstract you have a lot of data, you know, Rally. Mm length and you know uh, this uh, points one on serve and then points Mm -hmm. rally length on return so is is it it, not even Stan I mean is the industry I mean there's someone else looking at the data and the coach is just looking at the X and O's so are you also responsible for looking at all this and then what's the most simple way to feed Stan Wawrinka this because the player doesn't have to be complicated uh, in what they're learning so what's the approach?
1: it's a lot of information out there for sure and it's it's very easy to get caught up in in in, in all in too many details but yeah i, I use sometimes <clears throat> uh pre-match analysis for sure uh i do pre and post match i like to to look at the, the the bigger the bigger things the bigger picture a little bit more than than just the details i like to see how the court position change uh throughout the year for as in one example or you know um i don't know first serve percentages or so, Things, things related to Stan, I like to to look at a little bit more, uh, longer, bigger picture. Uh, and then, of course, I'm 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 the one responsible uh, in in the team. So if things are not going well, uh, I mean, people will look at me. So so I'm responsible for for delivering those few uh, few things before the game, perhaps. Uh, now we have a, we have another coach in the team as well, Danny Valverdu. So he's also quite uh quite into to to the <laughs> tactical things which is great uh a great help for me as well great addition to the team but uh but yeah try to do to give him like a couple of tips on, on his own serve a few advices on returning serve and, and a few general things when when the ball is in in, in the rally so to speak so focusing more on, on stan i would say than than the opponent uh,
0: yeah so you're back in uh, the wawrinka camp after what year and a half iris and you know he went through uh you know he was rehabbing and then uh yeah. so what's the mindset now i know you've been openly saying th- this is uh you know wawrinka is now i'm not saying not playing his best he's finding his way there but what's the mindset yeah. in terms of expectations does the team still think he's gonna win slams slams are not easy anyway uh, no,
1: it's 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 tough now, and, uh, and also he's just turned thirty-five, and and you know, yeah, you a couple of younger guys coming up, and it's yeah, it's getting tougher and tougher for sure. But that's also that's also a big motivation, a big challenge to try to stay as long as possible and and compete with with younger younger guys. Uh, do believe that he has a couple of good results in him? I, I thought we were building up good for for this season, and you know, st- starting with with the quarters in in, in Australian Open. So things were were looking quite quite okay, uh, I have to say. But now it's like we have to start a little bit from the beginning again. It's going to be a lot of time off, and uh, at the moment he's not he's not being able to hit uh, the tennis ball a, at all. So it's going to be a couple of weeks with uh, with the build up again when things starts starts rolling, and and it will be like a new like a new fresh start again, uh, of course. Um, so so we will see how, how things are when 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 we are starting again at the moment. The focus is to maintain I think uh, fitness as much as possible uh, he has to stay at home so he has a couple of uh, yeah a couple of fitness programs that he's, uh, he's doing uh, together with, with Pierre Paganini but um, yeah so maintaining fitness and then we'll see how things goes. but but I, I do think that he has a couple of good results in him and uh, I want to try to help him uh, as, as long as he wants I mean we, we have a great uh, great couple of years together so as long as he, he, he wants me, and by his side, I, I will be there.
0: Yeah, I think the Medvedev match was pretty big, uh, as far as I'm concerned. Of course, you know the man better than any. So you talked about players' develop over the years. So let's talk about uh, Nadal and Djokovic. You know, since you've been coaching, or you've been on the tour as a coach, how have these two guys developed over the years? Because they have dominated the last decade. Uh, mm. ha- are they different, say, now than they were in, 2011? And if yes, how are they different?
1: No, I think so. I mean, I I personally think that they are developing all the time. Like I said, you know, the the world is not only sports, but tennis and everything is involving all the time. (laughs) And uh, I think those guys too, that's why they are number one. They are so so eager all the time to get better. They are are being able to focus, uh, I think, 52 weeks out of the year uh, on trying to become better. They don't have bad bad days or or they have bad days but they, they still find a way to keep the level up they, they 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 don't fall off the sort of the the principle that they have they they are stronger mentally than than everyone else they 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 move better they hit a little bit harder they practice a little bit more it's it's everything that's that's that that comes together it's not only luck it's it's a, it's not just a coincidence it's what they do on a daily basis i think that's that's paying off they are, so strong mentally to be able to handle the, the pressure from the outside and all the obligations all the fans you know it's just incredible what they have to do and not only them but also roger and, and uh and to some extent also andy murray who has been dominant for for you know the, the the big four that we talk about
0: absolutely i have a question for roger a little uh you know before we wrap this up but uh you said at the beginning of the show that you were practicing hard and playing hard but now, uh, Stan, are players spending more time in the gym compared to tennis court, or has it changed in the last 20 years?
1: I think I think they are spending a little bit more time on, on injury prevention. So, you know, st- stability and mobility uh, is more important now. And I think uh, I see a lot of players are, are doing, uh, they have their injury prevention programs so yes, they spend a lot of more. They spend more time before the the sessions and after the sessions uh, compared to when we were playing. Uh, and and going back to the question before, I don't think I really answer your question. What I think the the thing that that for example, Rafa, uh, you know, um, did a lot better the last couple of years. He's he's, he's way better on faster surfaces now than he, than he was maybe in 2010. Let's let's put it that way. His returns are a lot better. He's 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 being able to to play uh, closer to the baseline. Uh, his serve has improved a lot. His serve speed and and he's be, he's he's actually quite a good volleyer. He has great hands around the net. So, so I think that's one thing that he 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 improved a lot and and uh, that stands out a little bit for me.
0: Okay, so let's talk about Federer. I mean, he's the one player that you played back in the day in Sydney and had a close match. Yeah. No, not Sydney, Vienna, I think. Yeah. Vienna
1: yeah, 7-6 in yeah. the third, yes. yeah.
0: Yeah, 7-6 in the third. So mm-hmm. that was 2000. The guy is still playing. He just came back from a knee surgery. He was ready to, re- he's ready to go, but there's no tennis now. So when you look back at that match, again, that's ages ago, and then you look back at Federer when you were in the box coaching Babrinka. how has his game changed? Uh, to even the mechanics look slightly different? I, I couldn't tell, but I think uh, the serve looks a little different to me. But... Uh, you fire away yeah. because you know you I I would rely more than you know me watching on YouTube.
1: <laughs> I, I I don't know about that, but but yeah, um, for sure. I mean, I think I think uh, what stands out the the, the big thing that uh, that I think um, sort of surprised and and that I'm. S- you know, when when he was younger, he he had a quite a, a big temperament. Uh, he has quite a big temper. He was throwing his racket, and he was quite, I don't know, lazy during practices, not really engaged. So, that's maybe the the thing that has impressed me the most: the way he's been able to transform his uh, his mental strength to to being actually one of his biggest strengths. Uh, I remember playing doubles with him a couple of times as well. Uh, when I was younger, around 2000, 2001, and uh, yeah, he had always great hands, you know, great technique, very flawless. But but his temper was not great, and and yeah, he was not engaged. But but uh, he he was able to sort of find his way. And now it's yeah, it's just incredible to see what he's he's been he's been doing the last uh, 20 years.
0: Again, you are still actively coaching, so I don't expect you to you know give details. But when you coach against him for for Stan, and Stan has beaten him in on clay but you know doesn't have a good record against him so how do you no. keep it simple because they're also very good friends but they're professionals no. how, what's your advice to Wawrinka on a Federal match on the eve of a Federal match
1: no it's they're, they're, they're you know close friends they're from the same country so it's it's a it's a you know, it's a it's a different sort of feeling when they they faces each other. Uh, they know each other inside and outside, playing Davis Cup and, and practice together. So it's a it's always a big rivalry uh, on a friendly note. But uh, so it's yeah, it's, it's it's a little bit different feeling going into to a match against Federer because they know each other so well. And and uh, yeah, so it's 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 not it's not only about the tennis and and the tactics. It's also about how you handle the you know the the situation, the pressure situation, and I think Roger has been handling that. That's why he's a uh, you know a, a big champion, one of the the best, uh, maybe the best that ever played the game. He's he's been able to handle the the situation uh, really really good.
0: Okay, we've had you at 55 minutes, slightly over. So I'll wrap this up quickly now. So mm-hmm. small answers. I mean, don't have to go in detail. But uh, mm-hmm. who who are some of the most? Uh, I mean, there's a lot of impressive talent with Zverev, uh, Sitsipas, and. Uh, Medvedev, Kyrgios has been there for a few years, and now Shapovalov mm. and Ogial Yassim. Mm. Uh, out of this lot, who impresses you the most uh, when you coach against them?
1: They, they impress me in different ways, for sure. But I think if you ask me who has the biggest potential, I think, uh, I mean, they're all super talented, but uh, for me, I got this question a year and a half ago, and i, and I say say Kyrgios, for me, is the, the biggest talent. If, if, he can uh, be very consistent and, and uh, sort of develop his, uh, the, the sort of the weaker sides that he has. I think he has uh, amazing talent. All
0: right. And uh, there's, at fan level, there's always talk about tennis surfaces being too slow. Some saying it's too fast. Uh, and then the tennis balls are being used in a different tournament. Um, every tournament, they're different balls. So, what is one chain that you, that, that, that attracts your attention i know you have played yourself before uh, do we make too much out of the play playing surfaces or could you do you no, want I, to see different surfaces
1: no i would like to to see for sure different surfaces because i think in the past it's been maybe a bit too one dimensional uh, the indoor courts are, are sometimes you know mm-hmm. slower than clay the balls get really heavy so i think it's good if if if, if if you have different ser- different speed of the court, as long as they are communicated well in advance, so players can prepare, uh, something like a like a court uh, speed index or something like that that that's is, it's, it's on the fact sheet and and that is not changing from maybe from one week to another. That you have one sort of part of the season that the index is medium fast and one part of the season where the index is really fast and one where it's slow. You know, I think it's great to 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 not only have the same all the time and back in the 80s in the beginning of when i was starting to play i, I know that the uh, discussion a lot was about uh, that uh, the surfaces was too fast you know there was only serves and now the last couple of years the, the discussion has been uh, you know the, the the reverse so i think a combination of the two would be the ideal
0: okay and uh, pass a message for, to stan Vavrinka from us and many fans i mean if there was a grand slam for social media right now he's winning it clearly i mean <laughs> what he's doing on insta and twitter i mean that's uh that's that's pretty amazing i will uh, i will pass that on, on to him any message to your fans who listen to this podcast because you don't realize you're a very popular uh figure i mean i think a lot of people have a lot of nice things to say about your coaching your intelligence and what you've done with stan and robin any message to the listeners of Thank this you. podcast
1: yeah it's very nice to nice to hear i mean i'm i'm always uh yeah, always happy to see all the, the the fans that are following Stan for sure over the last couple of years, and especially uh, you know the team when we go through bad bad periods, tougher periods. I think uh, the fans are always there to to share share us up on, on social media and, and all the different uh, channels, and, and also when we are on tournaments. So yeah, we we are working hard all the time to try to try to get back, try to try to stay healthy and and come back to playing some good tennis again. I think we were on the right track uh, starting this uh, 2020 season with the quarters in Australia and then playing decent tennis in Acapulco, really preparing and looking forward for for the rest of the season. Uh, Now I think the main focus for everyone uh, is to stay healthy and stay safe. We are all going through a tough, uh, tough, part of, uh, of our lives for sure, uh, tennis is no exception but there are more important things now that we have to fight and we have to win this battle together uh, and so yeah again thanks thanks to all the fans from um, for following uh, the team of Stan throughout the years and uh, hope to, to see you soon again uh, on the tour
0: yeah we wish you a lot of success uh, Magnus and I hope to uh, see you back on the court so
1: thank you so much